the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The law of God does not drive you to Christ by saying, if you're lonely, come to Jesus. If you're depressed, just come to Jesus. If no one likes you and you just want to eat mud, come to Jesus. If you are oppressed by your boss, come to Jesus. If you're oppressed by white people or by the rich, come to Jesus. That's not what the law does. The law of God says, I'm going to bring you to Jesus to believe in Him because you are damned in your sin and you're going to hell if you don't come. Legalism or greasy grace, either one, and there's nothing in the middle. At least that's what you would come to believe if you seriously examined American Christianity these days. But right in the middle is a complete, perfect, heavenly balance of law and gospel. How those two fit together like hand and glove is the subject of our time today as we continue our survey of 1 Timothy. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner who returns us to chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, the sweet compliance of the law and the gospel. Here's Pastor Gary. If you come before God with your head held high, you will go to hell when you die. You are to come to God and say, nothing in my hands I bring. I bow before you in my embarrassment. Because I have no righteousness of my own. God be merciful to me. A wretched sinner. So this verse is often used as I said by antinomians. People who are against the law of God to say. Now Christians don't have to obey it. Because in verse 25 it says. Now that faith has come we are no longer under a tutor. And the tutor is the law of God. But the tutor is one of the functions of God's law, not all of the functions. And it is not saying that now you have faith, the law of God has no place in your life. He is just saying that now that the law has driven you to Christ, it no longer has that role in your life, but it does have other roles. And another role, and a very important role, is that it guides the sanctification of the Christian. In other words, it guides the Christian life. So I'd like you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Here you have an explanation of what happens uh, when a person is born again. What happens in regeneration when God makes you a Christian? In Ezekiel 36, it says in verse 25 and following, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So how do you know you have the Holy Spirit in your life? The Bible says when you believe in Christ, you're born again, and you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, how do you know it? Do you just kind of feel warm and fuzzy on the inside? Well, you can have that from just eating a good meal, right? You know you have the Holy Spirit in you because he causes you to walk in God's statutes so that you will be careful to observe God's ordinances. So the law of God in the Christian's life is that path along which he is to walk. The law of God drove you to Christ. Christ saved you. Having saved you, Christ picks up the law and he hands it to you. And he says, this law didn't save you. I did. But now I want you to take my law and it will show you how to live as a Christian. So the two big focal points of the Christian life are the law of God and the spirit of God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit so we can obey God's law. Of course, never perfectly in this life. But do you know the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119? Go home this afternoon and and read it. It won't take you long. The theme of this longest chapter in the book, which is 176 verses, is, Oh, how I love God's law. It is my delight day and night. Can you say that? The longest chapter in the Bible is praising God's law. It is a saved man who's saying this. He recognized that he was saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And now he is saved. Christ has given him his spirit so that he will be able to obey the law of God. Turn now to Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is now... No condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law or power of the Holy Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law or power of sin and death. For what the law, that is biblical law, could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that, or in order that, a statement of purpose. So why did the Holy Spirit set us free from the power of sin and death? Why did the Lord Jesus Christ sacrifice himself for our sins? The text again. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled, not for us, but in us. And what is the requirement of the law of God? It is obedience. That the requirement of the law of God might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So he has given us the Holy Spirit. He has saved us from our sins so that we will have the power from within us to obey the law of God. So we see here is another of the great functions of the law of God. It is to guide your life as a Christian. And if a Christian doesn't love the law of God, 
He doesn't love Christ. And nor does he love God, who revealed himself in that law. And if he doesn't love the law of God and seek to obey it, he is being like Adam and Eve, who tried to set the boundaries of their own lives and walk their own way and do what was right in their own eyes. And you know where that got them. The only Christians there are, beloved, are obedient Christians, law-loving Christians. None of us are perfect. None of us love God's law as we should. But we do love the law of God. And that is why it's important to read the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Sermon on the Mount, and other places in the New Testament. To make sure that we're not omitting anything in God's law. We're not to obey God's law in some broad, ambiguous stroke. Obedience is specific obedience. Let's say I go on a trip. And I have $1,000 in gold coins that I didn't want to leave in my own house. So I give these coins to you. And I ask you to please watch over them and keep them for me until I get back in a couple of weeks. So I come back. And I come to you to get my gold coins back, $1,000 worth. And you say, well, here's $850 worth. I say, but I gave you $1,000 worth and you're just giving me back $850? And you say, oh, that's not, let's not be legalistic. Let's, let's not be so detailed. I mean, I gave back $850, so let's not be so legalistic and worry about specific numbers. Would that satisfy you? Would you say to that person, it's okay, that makes sense to me? Well, it doesn't make sense to God, and I'm sure it doesn't to you either. Well, God, I, I did it in broad strokes. God says, I want perfect obedience. You'll never give me perfect obedience in this life, but I want you to try. So, beloved, read God's law. But then sometimes it is better to spend time in the gospel. When you're trying to obey God's law and you realize you seem to be falling back quicker than you're going ahead, that's when you need motivation. That's when you need strength. That's when you need encouragement. And at those times, you quit reading the law of God and read about Christ's saving work. I, I tell people who want to know about the law of God to read Rushduni's The Institutes of Biblical Law, commentary on most of the laws in the Bible. And then when they start to feel really guilty and they say, this is just beyond me, then I say, well, maybe you should stop reading Rush for a while. Read someone like Martin Lloyd-Jones. Read a book on the gospel. And let that gospel encourage you. But remember, in the Christian life, the function of the law of God is to guide your life. Jesus said in one of his parables, What gets you to eternal life is going through the straight gate and walking down the narrow way. What is entering the straight gate? That is faith in Christ. 
What is walking down the narrow way? It is obedience to Christ. You can't get on the narrow way unless you've gone through the straight gate. And the proof you've gone through the straight gate is that you are walking down the narrow path. And if you are not walking down the narrow way, you never went through the straight gate. Because it is going through the straight gate and walking down the narrow path gets you into eternal life and nothing less. Now, what have we talked about so far? We've talked about the law of God as a revelation of God's character. The law of God is his righteous standard for the human race. The law of God gives us the knowledge of sin. The law of God aggravates sin in the unbeliever. The law of God and the Holy Spirit drive the unbeliever to Christ for salvation. And the law of God is the guide for the Christian's life in this world. Now, one last thing. All of that was actually just an introduction. You got another hour? The one last thing is what our text teaches us. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And, and see what our text teaches us about the law of God. Remember last week, we looked at the first seven verses, and we saw that Paul was telling Timothy to warn people about the teachers who were teaching these strange or different doctrines, paying attention to self-made myths and genealogies that are fruitless, and that distract people from focusing on God by faith. He said the goal of true instruction and of sound doctrine is love, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Men have avoided that. and They've wandered away from the truth. Verse 7. They want to be known as expert teachers of the law of God, but they do not know why, what they are talking about. Then in verse 8 it says, Unless you misunderstand me, we know the law of God is good. He says, I'm not saying the law is bad. I'm saying these guys are bad who want to be known as experts of the law of God who don't know what it means and they don't know how to apply it. And when they do try to apply it, it has nothing to do with holiness of life. So understand, Paul says, I'm not criticizing the law of God. We know without a shadow of a doubt that the law of God in the Bible is good if one uses it lawfully. Verses 8 and 9. Realizing the fact that the law is made for the righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So people like to take that passage and say, the law of God was only made for wicked people. The law of God is good for condemning evil people, but the law wasn't made for righteous men. Do you agree with that? Well, I agree with that. The law was not made for righteous men. Are any of you perfectly righteous here? Not even the man who wrote those words were, was righteous. 
Paul, who said the law of God was not written for righteous men, but for sinners, said, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief sinners. We are all sinners. So whether you are saved, a saved sinner, or a lost sinner, the law of God has a very practical use in your life. And that is to restrain, restrain sin, to keep people from sinning so much. Now, we in our hearts as Christians want to not sin so much. In fact, we long for that day when we do not sin at all. But the unbeliever, the immoral, the murderer, the kidnapper, the homosexual, and all the rest, they love their sin because they hate God. They love to rebel against him. How are we going to keep them from sinning? You do it by the civil government enforcing God's law in its own laws and giving teeth to it. God's law for the immoral and the pervert is not merely a bunch of suggestions. God's law says to the unbeliever, don't break my law or you will have my judgment to deal with. So when a Christian reads the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, it has a restraining effect on him or her. But it is, of course, what they want because the Holy Spirit has written it on their hearts. But what about the wicked person who doesn't want to be convicted? You enforce God's law. The civil government enforces God's law in the Bible and gives it teeth by enforcing its sanctions. So if God's law says that such and such is a crime, and if you are found guilty in a court of law, and it requires the death penalty, the civil government must justly and swiftly apply the death penalty. If someone is a thief and he is found guilty in a court of law for being a thief, he is charged with restitution up to five times the value of what he stole. And if he can't pay the restitution, then he becomes a slave of the person that he stole the money or goods from until it is paid off. And the reason our civil laws today don't work is that they are merely slaps on the wrist. If you commit some crimes today, it is simply be hauled off to jail. And you know what? For some criminals, that's the best life they've ever had. The best bed they've ever slept in. The best environment. The best food they've ever had. Imprisonment in Scripture is never, never a form of civil punishment. Because when you punish someone by putting them in jail for life, Guess who is really being punished? It is the family of the victim and you and I who by our taxes takes care of the murderer for the rest of his life. But when you give civil law the teeth of God's law and you enforce the capital penalties that God requires for certain crimes, that will restrain crime. And when the Bible talks about capital punishment, it doesn't mean being locked behind closed doors and given a shot and the person just goes to sleep. Capital punishment in the Bible is a public 
execution, where people come out to see the execution of someone in public in a way that it hurts. In the Old Testament, it was stoning. That certainly wasn't an easy way to die, right? You say, well, I, I'm, I'm just more humane and just and compassionate than God. Is that what you're thinking? I don't believe in capital punishment for homosexuality and adultery and murder and kidnapping and all the rest. And I'm certainly not for causing pain when people are executed. Are you telling me that you know better than God? Well, that's what you're saying. Because the Bible is in this infallible standard of righteousness. It not only establishes right from wrong, it also establish, it, it, it also infallibly defines what is a criminal act and what is not. And if you leave it up to the state to define what a criminal and what is not, then you will be, you will be a criminal if you protest out in front of an abortion clinic. While the murdering abortionist goes free. The only place in all of the world that you can go to see what crime really is, is in the Bible. And the only place you can go in all the world to find out how God wants crime to be punished justly is in the Bible. Murderers and child rapists are many times sent to mental institutions for the rest of your life and have no responsibilities while your taxpayers provide for them. When it is left up to man to determine how crime is to be punished, that punishment becomes really more barbaric and inhumane and, must certain, and most certainly arbitrary. And the only perfect standard of righteousness that infallibly distinguishes right from wrong that sufficiently defines what a criminal act is and then justly defines how a crime is to be punished is to be found in God's law in the Bible. Now that should be obvious to each and every one of us. Well, I promise if you go and tell some of your friends and relatives, even if they are Christians, what I just told you, they're going to try to avoid you if at all possible. And they may very well even hate you because they may call themselves Christians, but they are showing themselves to hate God's law. But our text says it is possible to apply God's law even unlawfully. You can take the law of God and you can believe the law of God but you can use it in an unlawful manner. And that is, you can say, I'm going to follow this law to be saved. My friends, that is an unlawful way of using God's law, and it will cause you more trouble than less. Also, our text says that when the law of God is applied lawfully, it is great benefit to everyone. If you use law, God's law lawfully by using it, in a way that describes it as contained in Holy Scripture. And lastly, our passage says the law of God, the gospel of Christ, and sound teaching are all in agreement. Paul says in verses 10 and 11, And immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have entrusted 
In verse 9, Paul talks about infractions against God's law. Law that in verse 8, he says, is good. And that God's law is in perfect agreement with sound teaching and with the glorious gospel of our blessed God. Do you love the glorious gospel of our blessed God? Then you will love his law. And you will deeply regret it when you disobey it. Do you love sound teaching? Do you love the faithful exposition of the passages and the chapters of the text in Holy Scripture? Then you will love God's law. Because God's law, sound teaching, and the glorious gospel of our blessed God are sweetly in compliance with each other. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408. 408- 8665607 that's 4088665607 our website where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us is reformedheritage.org and then of course you can write to us at PMB that stands for post mailbox number 402 1484 Pollard Road Los Gatos California the zip code is 95032 Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.